Welcome to Axios Pro Rata, a podcast that takes just 10 minutes to get you smarter on the collision of tech, business, and politics. I'm Dan Primack. On today's show, something pretty terrifying from the world of healthcare and a new heavyweight fight between business titans Carl Icahn and Michael Dell. But first, basketball. The NBA tips off its new season tonight in Boston, where the Celtics will face the Philadelphia 76ers. And to borrow a business term, the league seems to be at an inflection point. Specifically, there's lots of rumblings, including among sports agents, about how the NBA is poised to become America's new pastime as baseball continues to struggle and the NFL deals with controversies ranging from players kneeling to getting traumatic brain injuries. Now, according to Forbes, every NBA team is now valued at over $1 billion for the first time ever. It is the only major sports outfit in North America to operate a women's league, and it's also fully embraced both esports and the prospect of sports betting, not only in casinos and racetracks, but potentially inside of NBA arenas themselves. Plus, no other league has players quite so active on social media or in the broader content space as the NBA does, uh, whether that's things like LeBron James's burgeoning digital media empire or Kyrie Irving as Uncle Drew in movie theaters. In fact, the NBA's biggest question mark right now isn't the business. It's on the court itself where the league's been dominated for the past two years by a super team in Golden State, and where some of its largest markets, including New York, are expected to once again be terrible. But if the NBA can keep its product alluring, then we might begin talking about it like we talked about the NFL last decade, or Major League Baseball in the 1960s and 1970s. In 15 seconds, we'll go deeper on this with Wick Grouspeck, co-owner of the Boston Celtics. But first, this. Axios Chief Technology Correspondent Ina Fried shares breaking news and analysis on the most consequential companies and players in tech, from the Valley to D.C. Subscribe to get smarter faster at signup.axios.com. And now, back to the Pro Rata Podcast. We're joined by Wick Grousebeck, co-owner of the Boston Celtics and also a founding partner of Causeway Media Partners, a venture capital firm that invests in sports media and tech companies. So, Wick, let me start with an on-the-court thing, which is better ratings in the end, a Celtics-Warriors final or a Celtics-Lakers final with LeBron? I cannot predict finals. I just can't. I can't do that because that would just be jinxing everything. So speaking about the past, we had two great finals with the Lakers. Uh, well, we had one great one and one crummy one because we lost. Uh, we won one, lost one with the Lakers 10 years ago. And it was a lot of fun. But if we're lucky enough to get to the finals, we'll play anybody we can uh, match up against. So I will mark you down for Celtic Sacramento Kings. That's fantastic. Wick, you've talked in the past about kind of how the NBA has been a leader. And that's your words, leader when it comes to digital. And Adam Silver recently talked about, I think the number was 92% of the league's players are on Twitter. I'm curious, from your perspective, is that something that the league has helped create? Or is that just a happy accident because the players happen to be doing that anyway? Well, I don't think of the players tweeting as the, or having their own social media presences. I mean, I think everybody of their age is on, I mean, 92% is probably the, you know, the number for everybody in their twenties. And I guess I feel like what's more important is the digital reach out to our fans and our digitization of our games. We get hundreds of millions of revenue, literally hundreds and hundreds of millions of revenue from streaming our games in China alone and all over the U.S. and internationally with League Pass. You can watch our games on your phone on a cell connection with no lag and no freezing at all, you know, all over the world. And I do it. 
And so we've grown to into a global sport alongside soccer, and a lot of that has been because of digital technology. Obviously, all sports are trying to go digital and are to varying extents. Basketball, it, maybe it's just because there's no helmets and the cameras get so much closer. Do you feel there's something, if not unique, at least relatively unusual about basketball and how it translates to digital, particularly onto phones? I do. I made this comment to somebody the other day that our games are indoors. They're brightly lit. As you said, the cameras are nice and close. The guys are large-sized in general, you know, oversized guys, brightly lit, no helmet, five-on-five. You know, you can really see the emotion and the effort they're putting out. And it's a two-hour and ten-minute game. It's really well-suited for a digital experience. You can see it perfectly fine on an iPhone or a Samsung, really without too much effort. And it it works well, and we've been really lucky. Um, You know, the game is compelling, and it translates to the small screen. Wick, I'm curious. You know, obviously, the Supreme Court earlier this year said that you could have sports betting outside of just Las Vegas and Nevada state by state dependent. States have to actually legalize it. Not something that's happened in Massachusetts yet where you guys play your home games. I'm curious, what would it mean to you or to the Celtics organization if there was indeed legalized betting in Massachusetts? Well, I think we could have sponsorship. We've actually been a DraftKings team. We've had sponsorships from DraftKings in the past and probably in the future. So, you know, when a casino comes in or gambling and betting of any kind comes in, you'll find them advertising. So that's one direct impact. Adam Silver believes at the league office that engagement of fans generally will be heightened or increased with gambling and, you know, the ability to have real money on the games. If we police it properly, it'll be net-net all right or positive. I guess I believe that, too. I haven't really seen it, but I guess I believe that, you know, it's going to happen anyway. It is happening now, unregulated or off the books. Uh, if we make it legal, you know, it'll probably increase. Is it something you're doing any lobbying for on Beacon Hill and in, in Massachusetts? No, I'm not. I don't think they've listened to me anyway. I just I don't mean you personally, but do you have people who are who are doing it? No, we're not doing that. We're not trying to actively tip the scales. The league has been working and they were fighting that case in New Jersey and the league has been trying to help, you know, develop guidelines and then we just announced the league wide deal with MGM as a matter of fact. So the league is moving forward as the Celtics were more worried about putting the uh the guys in the court tonight at eight o'clock. Fair enough. Wait, let me ask, you're obviously one of you know dozens of owners, not just the Celtics, but in general in the league. But if you were in charge, if you were kind of king of the NBA, what's the one thing you would do to improve the game, either on the court or the business of the game? Oh, that's very interesting. Uh, <laughs> I haven't thought of that question. I love questions that I haven't already sort of answered in the past, and I haven't answered that one. I like where we're going with better offenses um, and less kind of just grabbing and and pulling guys back. Um, it, it's a graceful, fluid game. You know, we like to say the best athletes in the world, certainly among the very best athletes in the world and the most amazing people to watch are playing our game. And so, you know, grabbing their jerseys and not having it be called, you know, isn't helpful. So we're starting to enforce more of the anti-holding rules this year, supposedly. I'd like to see the game continue to flow and to be open. Um, I'm not going to say I want a four-point shot, but I like the three-point shot. You know, So you can put me down for the fourth-point shot. That'd be fine. So full rock and jock basketball. That's good. That's good. Let's do it. Yeah, let's do you know eight seconds or less. Let's have some fun. Fantastic. Wick, final question. And on a sad note, one of your fellow owners, Paul Allen of the Trailblazers, passed away yesterday. He's somebody who, like you, was involved in the technology space. Obviously, he co-founded Microsoft you know, prior to becoming an NBA owner. Just wondering if you have any stories or anecdotes or any memories of Paul. Saying that he's like me in the technology space is, is a far overstatement of anything I've been able to do. But he was a titan, obviously. He was a great owner. He won Super Bowls with the Seahawks, obviously. And he tried hard with the Blazers and had some great teams. He was a guy that really cared deeply about the league and the structure of the league and the 
revenue sharing and you know just getting everything as fair as possible in his in his words and he he was an advocate for his positions and and people listened very carefully to him so anyway a very very sincere and good guy and he'll be missed 65 is way too young Wick, thank you so much for joining us the celtics and sixers tip off at eight o'clock tonight and as a celtics fan i i hope they absolutely crush the sixers and that you get to cheer this evening and as a Dan fan, congratulations on all your success with Axios. I read it every day. Thanks so much. My final two right after this. There is more news out there than ever before, but these days it's harder than ever to find it and to know what to trust. Axios AM takes the effort out of getting smart by synthesizing the 10 stories that will drive the day and telling you why they matter. Subscribe at signup.axios.com. And now back to the ProRata podcast. Now it's time for my final two. And first up is a big warning that the world might be running out of effective antibiotics. That's the upshot of a new and pretty terrifying piece in Wired by somebody named Marin McKenna, who cites three main factors. First, bacterial resistance is making some current antibiotics ineffective. Second, a lot of big pharmaceutical companies got out of the antibiotics business years ago. And third, it's really, really expensive to develop new ones. And without big pharma partners or the potential of getting acquired by a big pharmaceutical company, it's a pretty difficult business for startups to enter. The bottom line, McKenna writes, is that governments need to begin treating antibiotics like they currently treat military technologies not like they treat pharmaceuticals. Instead, something we subsidize for the broader good, both in terms of R&D and distribution. If it doesn't happen, she argues, we could all be a lot, lot sicker. And finally, five years ago, activist investor Carl Icahn tried to stop Michael Dell from taking his eponymous computer company private, arguing that Dell was paying too low a price. Now, Icon lost that fight, but is now again going after Dell, this time over his efforts to take Dell Technologies public. So just like last time, it's about price, with Icon arguing that Dell is fleecing shareholders. And in this case, that's specifically shareholders of a so-called tracking stock for something called VMware, which Dell also owns. Now, the whole thing is pretty complicated, but here's what it comes down to. This fight is almost certain to wind up in a Delaware courtroom, just like it did back in 2013. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Adam Gracia and Tim Shovers, have a great National Dictionary Day. And we'll be back tomorrow with another Pro Rata podcast.